Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, April 9th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page XXVII in the fourth edition, the top of the page. And today's readers are Katie, Robin, Marsha, and Paula. The reference number for Monday, April 8th, is 4240. Again, that's 4240. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, always fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Hoodie to read the 12 steps, please. Hi, good morning, Christy. This is Hoodie, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Hoodie. I will now ask Ann S. to read the traditions, please. Hi, good morning. This is Anne uh, from Pennsylvania, the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we, we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our, pu- our public relations policy is based on attraction Rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anne. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're in the doctor's opinion. We're on page XXVII at the top of the page where it says the doctor's right or the doctor writes. And I will ask Katie to begin reading. And Katie, um, read the first four paragraphs, please. Okay. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovering recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. The doctor writes. The subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. Well, with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Um, and this, you know, this section is just, well, 
since we always say it's just so there's so much in these uh, few paragraphs because I mean basically he's admitting that he doesn't have all the answers and you know when we go to a doctor we expect them to say what is wrong and to give us a course of treatment but with addiction they he is admitting that he does not have all the answers and that the people who have written this book have found a solution. And that solution is that we share this, uh, or part of that solution is that we continue to work with other um, people who want to recover, that we don't get a fix, you know, like you get when you go to a doctor, that is um, temporary, that is a cure, that you, you know, take an antibiotic for two weeks and then you're fine, go on your merry way. That is not the course of treatment that works for um, addicts, and he is admitting that they're, um, you know, he's worked for years with alcoholics, and he has never been able to come up with something that works on all um, levels. And uh, I looked up a few of these words, synthetic, um, synthetic knowledge, you know, it's synthetic is um, uh, relating or using, well, synthetics, obviously, um, made of chemical synthesis to imitate a natural product. So they can imitate um, what needs to be done, but, but it, it really, you cannot recover without working with another person who has gone through what you've gone through. That is... Um, the difference here, that we don't sit at home by ourselves and just um, read this book. We also have to reach out and help others and keep learning day by day. It's not a uh, quick fix. It's not an overnight thing where we suddenly our house is in order. And that was my goal. My goal was always to lose the weight and then move on with my life and that I would not have to um, ever think about it again. And also that I would be able to just eat whatever I wanted in small portions. That was what I thought the goal was, to be able to um, eat the foods I liked and no longer eat them <laughs> like a wild person. Uh, and that is not what happened. But the good news is, is I don't want to eat those foods today and I don't, I'm no longer searching, um, you know, I no longer go to doctors and ask them what I can do because I've found an answer. And the answer lies in these first 164 pages, and I'm so grateful that we also, you know, read the Roman numeral sections too because it's so important. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? You'll need to press star 1 to unmute your phone. This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. So it's very important that we understand if we are a compulsive overeater. Not everyone who walks into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous is a compulsive overeater. So what does it mean to be afflicted 
with alcoholic addiction, to be afflicted with compulsive overeating. And that's why this chapter is so essential. Because let me tell you, if I described to you my 20s, you would say, man, that girl should go to AA. That girl drinks way too much. Look at the consequences she's having. She needs to go to AA. But I have to tell you, at 27, something happened that was so shocking and devastating to me. I never drank again. I didn't go to AA. I didn't work a step. I, did not, I am not an alcoholic. A sufficient reason happened for me to stop drinking, and I stopped drinking. And if I had gone into AA and I had gone to meetings and stopped drinking, I would be very confusing to a real alcoholic, to an alcoholic who is afflicted with this addiction. So what does it mean to be afflicted? You know, first of all, we have to have this allergy to the body, which we're first being treated with. So let's say that you are getting, breaking out in a rash and you're not sure why, and it keeps happening. So you go to the doctor and he sticks little patches on your body, six patches to test you for different substances. And after the test, he goes, you know what? We just found out. You're allergic to strawberries. And then you go, thank you, doctor, thank you. And you simply stop eating strawberries and you go on with your life. If you find out that you are allergic to certain foods and that knowledge alone allows you to stop eating those foods and go on with your life, you are not a compulsive overeater. And this most dastardly part is we have this obsession of the mind. And I have a friend that loves chocolate. She has to have chocolate every single day. All day she thinks about she's got to have some chocolate. And what she does is she buys a bag of Hershey Kisses, and every night when she comes home, she has one Hershey Kiss. And when she has that Hershey Kiss, she's like, oh, thank God. And that Hershey Kiss satisfies her. So she is not a compulsive overeater. She doesn't have the allergy. She has a mind that tells her every day she has to have a piece of chocolate. She has a piece of chocolate, and she's done. She's done for that day. So to be afflicted with this addiction, we have to have both. We have to have an allergy of the body that once we ingest certain substances, we can never safely know how much we're going to consume because our body is going to demand more and more. But the second part is we have to have the obsession of the mind that regardless how long we've been away from that food, we're going to have a mind that tells us, go back, go back, go back. It'll give you that easy comfort. You are, you've had a good day, help you celebrate. You've had a bad day, it'll make you feel better. And if we don't have both, we don't need to do these steps. We may not need to go to meetings. So it's essential in this book that we qualify ourselves and as sponsors, we qualify the people that are asking us to sponsor them. Are they afflicted with this alcoholic addiction? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to read or share on these paragraphs? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. I'm going to scoot right here to this this word on the second paragraph. A few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. Now, he's given you a few words, but look at the impact of them. Look at the impact. He's telling you what's in these pages. Masterly. Masterly. The masterly meaning that this is really, wait a minute, detail. And this is the doctor saying this. 
we doctors have realized for a long time, they knew it. They knew it. Well, so much for the knowledge. Did I not know it? Oh, yeah. So much for the knowledge again. That some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance. This is it. To alcoholics. But its applications presented difficulties beyond our conception. We know. We know, but we don't know how to apply it. Honey, I'm standing with a can of paint in front of the wall, but I ain't got no brush to put it on. But then I want to go right down and scoot to that part where he says, we are perhaps not well equipped. There it is. To apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge, as was sheared. They didn't have it. They didn't know how to apply it. That's what we have this for. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead, please. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. In that uh, one, two, three, the fourth paragraph there, the first sentence, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics. And it's interesting, I was just looking at the word moral. It means ethical. Relating to principles of right and wrong, good and bad in conduct. Relating to principles of right and wrong, moral psychology. But its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. Well, yeah, that was the case because, you know, what what did people think of alcoholics? That it was a moral issue, that they were evil, that they were sinners, they were weak. And you can't apply moral psychology, you can't apply right and wrong to a disease and this is what this doctor had learned and will go on to say that we had a disease, a twofold disease, and all the psychology didn't work. And the majority of us have been to therapists and that didn't help us. We found we have a spiritual disease and we need a spiritual solution. And that's what this book is going to show us. That we need God, you know. That the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge that power of good is God. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Well, this is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'll jump in here. Um, you know, when Katie read this, she gave us the definition of synthetic, you know, synthetic knowledge, and I, you know, th- those words just jumped out at me, and it reminds me of a time, um, you know, back in, uh, I think it was the early 90s, and I had gone to see a psychologist, and uh, was sitting in his office, and he treated um, people with eating disorders. You know, that was one of his specialties. And uh, I was sitting in his office, and there was a coffee table between the two of us. And I said, you know, it's like there's a piece of pie. You know, I was trying to give give him an example of which I would think he would be maybe familiar with. I don't know. But I just said it's like there's a piece of pie on a plate on that, on that coffee table right there in front of me, and it is telling me 
to um, that I need to eat it. You know, that's what it's like for me. That's what this is like for me. This is what I experience. And what he said to me is, you know, Christy, you know, you know that um, <laughs> you can imagine Christy and a psychologist in an office. Christy, you know that pie can't talk. You know, which is so rational and reasonable, right? Of course, pie is an inanimate object. It cannot talk. But to me, <laughs> to me, the pie wouldn't shut up. And, uh, you know, he's trying to apply this rational, reasonable, um, you know, idea to someone whose disease is not rational and rational or reasonable at all. Of course I knew that. Of course I knew that. I was not hearing voices. I mean, that would maybe be a different conversation. You know, I didn't actually hear the, the pie say anything, but that's what it was like for me. That's what my experiential knowledge, my experience as a compulsive overeater was that. My mind would not let go. My mind was relentless. No, it wasn't just, you know, I have, I have, of course, the twofold nature of this disease that's described so beautifully here in these first few pages of the big book, which is so critical, as other people have shared. Not only, you know, once I eat that, you know, that food, that substance, that pie that's sitting, you know, on the table, once I eat that, I cannot stop. You know, I mean, it's just astounding to me the example that Kim just gave of someone eating one Hershey's Kiss. I mean, I, that just baffles me. That baffles me that someone could say, I'd really like some chocolate and eat one of those. I mean, that's just astounding to me even today. Even today on, you know, April 9th of 2013, it's astounding to me. You know, and I haven't found it necessary to pick up any food beyond my, you know, beyond what I commit every day to my sponsor outside of the bounds of my food plan since September 9th of 2001. I've been maintaining my weight, maintenance weight, for 10 years. And I'm still astounded that people could say, you know, I'd really like a little piece of chocolate. They have a Hershey's Kiss and they're on their way. You know, because that's not my experience. If I had a Hershey's Kiss, I'd want everything that Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, chocolate factory produces. That's what I'd want. Because that's the kind of compulsive overeater I am. You know, the mind that tells me, you know, to keep on eating even after I'm sick and I'm full. My mind will tell me to keep going. There's still more. There's still more, Christy. Keep going. Maybe take a little bit of a break so your stomach can start to, you know, your body can start to process the food, but dive right back in. And, um, you know, that physical allergy, once I take those substances, whether it's you know, for me, sugar, fat, and flour, or volume, you know, doesn't matter. I want to keep going. I want to keep going. It kicks in that mental obsession, and I want to keep going. So, you know, it, trying to describe this to someone who doesn't get it is, it is of no use. And that is why I have found that I have to work with other people that recognize that they have a physical allergy and a mental obsession. They get it. They get it and they get me. They get me. They understand. And they are people in whom the problem has been solved. And I had to work with a sponsor who understood this and in whom the problem had been solved, a sponsor who had put down the food and had not found it necessary to pick up the food no matter what. 
no matter what. And you know, if I can find that, you can find that. That's why I'm on here every single day because this is this book describes to me what my problem is, and more important, once I understand what the problem is, what the solution to that problem is. You know, if you find that this is what your problem is, we have a solution for you. We have a solution for you. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on these paragraphs? This is Leah. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead, Leah. <laughs> Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says, I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. Um, you know, we're studying the doctor's opinion, which unfortunately doesn't get cracked open uh, in most OA meetings. Um, and even though, you know, it's numbered with Roman numerals, it's not just a, a friendly introductory note. I mean, this is the foundation of the whole program of recovery is the material that's found in here. And we don't realize how lucky we are um, you know, that Dr. Silkworth, you know, was a, was our friend. He was the earliest medical voice and he championed Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, he was, he was a, uh, you know, uh, a neurologist who was admired by his peers and he risked his professional reputation to champion, to support and encourage um, what was happening here, what he saw happening on the alcoholic ward. I mean, no one wanted to work with drunks. Nobody liked to work with alcoholics. Why? Why did no one like to work with alcoholics? Because they don't listen. Because they, they don't do what the doctors suggest they do. You know, they would, the doctors would dry them out for 30 days and plead with them, you know, you're going to lose your life, you're going to lose your liver, you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your job, you know, you've, you've crashed a few cars already, stop doing this to yourself, and, you know, 30 days later, uh, you know, two months later, six months later, they'd be back in there worse than ever. No one wanted to work with drunks, and Dr. William Silkworth uh, in fact, they called him what? They called him the medical saint. They called him the little doctor who loved drunks. Um, you know, it says here, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics. This moral psychology terminology is the way that Dr. William Silkworth would uh, characterize the work that was being done by these early members when he would speak with his uh, peers in the medical profession. I mean, you have to remember that, that these men of medicine and these men of science stood powerless by the bedside of these drunks. They, there was nothing they could do to conquer the obsession of the mind, nothing they could do. It was so frustrating. You know, they'd see the, the wives come in, the sad wives, the children who were, you know, uh, you know, confused and and living a life of, of turmoil with with a father who was a drunk or a mother who was a drunk. 
Um, it says here, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. Why was it difficult? Well, because these men had not been in the quicksand. Yes, they were knowledgeable. Yes, Dr. William Silkworth was a, was a very uh, highly respected physician, but he was a man of knowledge, a man of intellect. What we need here... Was, is to transcend the intellect. Transcend the intellect. We need to be restored to sanity with a spirit-guided mind. That was something that the physicians lacked. They lacked that. It says, what with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well-equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Again, synthetic, meaning it's manufactured. It's, it's fabricated. You know, it's man-made. Recovery demands something that is extraordinary, that is out of this world, and that's the power of God. And so we're going to see here two spiritual themes come into play that Dr. William Silkworth was very aware of. Number one, the power of one alcoholic needing another alcoholic. That Bill and his fellows had recovered and they had been given the power to help others. And the second thing that Dr. Silkworth was seeing here was that God was doing for them what they could not do for themselves. That went way beyond any medical degree. And thank God for Dr. William Silkworth who saw that and risked his reputation, risked his professional reputation, put it on the line, wrote these two letters that we're studying on the Visions meeting and started speaking about this and commending this group of folks that were recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lega. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on these paragraphs before Patricia. we move on? Patricia, would you like Melanie? to share? And okay, Melanie. Patricia. Okay, Patricia and then Melanie. Go ahead, Patricia. I just want to share on the very first paragraph where it says, the subject presented in the book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those affected by alcohol addiction. In the Paramount, I had to look this word up too, it means supreme. So for Dr. Silkworth, to this book, the subject presented in this book seems to me, seems to him, to this doctor that is has studied and worked with alcoholics for all, all the years and the many things he's tried. So this, he's saying the subject presented in this book seems to him to be of supreme importance. Um, to those affected by alcoholic addiction. To me, that when I saw when I had that pointed out to me, now here's this doctor of with all this knowledge and education and all these different things that he tried. All of a sudden, he's you know, he, it's like, all right, all this the subject presented in this book seems to him to be the most important to him. Now he's agreeing with with the alcoholics, uh, Bill and. Them. So to me, that to have a doctor's okay on this book—that that's basically what he's. You know, it's okay. He's given his okay that it seems to be the supreme importance. 
you know, this book seems to be the supreme importance. When I saw that, when I started reading this, because this is like right in the, you know, Roman noble pages of the book where most people don't even pay attention to, that kind of woke me up because I was very afflicted by compulsive eating and I needed an answer. So that kind of helped me to pay attention. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Melanie, go ahead. Hi, good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, getting more sane every day. Thank you, God. And um, and with that, I'm, it's my excuse to say I'm going to speak to the idea that maybe somebody else on this line is like I am, and I didn't understand some real basic things here when I was reading these for a long, long time, reading these pages in here. And when I read this, I... Um, kept thinking about that they're telling me how I'm going to get abstinence. They're telling me here how I'm going to put down the food, and I finally was able to break through some of that junk in my head to understand, oh, oh, Melanie, what they're talking about here is they've gotten these folks dried out. That's the point and the purpose of this hospital is to get the booze completely out of their system. So they've gone through these processes to do that, just that thing. And then what happened to Bill is he had an experience that he checked in with to say, oh, my, there's something different here about what I'm doing, my behavior. That's what's being uh, addressed here. You know, when I was listening to people share on the on the phone here earlier, there was mention of chocolate or there's mention of favorite, you know, wonderful foods. And I started thinking that way again. Oh, we're taught, you know, maybe we're trying to get the idea across that we're, that the moral psychology is about how to put down the food. No, that's done. That part's done here. Now we got, we're working with the mind. So if anybody was like me and it kind of got fuzzy in that place, I wanted to speak out right here, right now. No, this is about my behavior now that it's all out of my system my thinking that causes a behavior, that causes an emotion, that causes that spiral back down and it helps me to eventually talk myself into justifying putting a little bit of whiskey in Melanie's milk. Or that I could have one Hershey's kiss a day because I'm going to convince myself of that. That's what we're working on here. That's what the moral psychology is. That, that beyond what Dr. Silkworth was able to do is get the booze out of my system that's done, that's down, that's clear, that's entire absence. Now what are we going to do with these folks? What can we do? And something's starting to emerge from that, and he is endorsing it. He's behind it 100%. So just, you know, just in case somebody else is out there that's like me, thinking that we're defining absence here, I just wanted to be real clear to share with you that finally I understood that that's not what they're talking about here. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Melanie. Anyone else? My name's Yael Stein. My name's Yael S. from Wisconsin. Can I share? L? Sure, go ahead, Hi, my name's Yael S. from Wisconsin. Can I share? Yes, please, go ahead. Um, I once heard uh, um, a big, I was in a big book study, and the person that was sharing um, took this paragraph and just slightly tweaked a couple words that made me under, like, allowed me to understand this in such a different way, kind of um, what, what we were just hearing, where um, he took the words moral psychology and changed them to spiritual awakening. He took the words our, concept, our conception um, and changed it to medicine. And then in the last line, changed the word good to God and, scient- and synthetic knowledge to scientific knowledge. And when I read that now, 
I can't help but reading both both ways. And um, I'm just going to real quickly read it with the with the words that he helped me put in to um, realize that this is really talking about um, the spiritual aspect of our program. And he it's, it it sounds like this: We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of spiritual awakening was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our medicines. With our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we, perhaps not, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of God which lie outside our scientific knowledge. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Um, Robert, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and read uh, the next two paragraphs, if you would, please. Hi, this is Robin. I am a compulsive overeater in Minnesota. I recovered. Okay, many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here. And with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Well, I'll share. I first of all, the humility of uh, of a professional, a doctor, um, the humility of him in the fact that he's able to admit that the physical approach alone doesn't work. I mean, he's had the experience of many alcoholics in and out, and he's discovered that the physical approach doesn't work on its own. But it takes it takes much more than that for an alcoholic to stay um, sober. And the thing that I, I can't help thinking about is um, the professionals in our world that keep throwing methods at our compulsive overeating from surgery to, you know, well, m- medical, um, you know, like drugs. But the sur- surgery is the first thing that comes to my mind, the um, stomach bypass surgery that that is so in vogue right now. And um, the you know, what he's telling us is that it takes more than that. It takes more than the physical approach. It just doesn't work for some for people like us. And what what he um, is telling us here also is that this is the thing that does work. What his experience now is um, teaching him is that the more that works is the unselfishness of these men as they have come as we have come to know them the entire absence of pro- profit motive in their community spirit so here we have the solution it's going to be as we will find out in the following pages unselfishness community spirit and let's see they believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death so it's going to take a much higher power than the doctor, than the medical establishment, than the psychiatrists, and all of the different um, professional remedies that we can find. It's a moral psychology issue. (laughs) We need a power greater than ourselves. Um, And, you know, what 
what uh, what he says here is that experience is showing him now that that we can be trusted. That this is a method that works in the long run. It looks works in the long haul. It's not just a flash in the pan. People come back and talk about it. Um, staying sober, staying able to come in and talk to other alcoholics, um, just as we do in our meetings. So. Um, so we're going to learn more about this, but our doctor, our good friend Dr. Silkworth here is telling us that he has admitted defeat. His uh, professional medical experience shows him that it takes much more than just uh, medical, a medical solution and that these people with the much more, which is the spiritual um, aspect and the community you know, behind them, that does work. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Is there anyone who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Barbara? Barbara, go ahead. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overreader. I haven't thought about this phase of my history with compulsive overreading in a while, but it's occurring to me as we're doing this, these readings this morning. And that is the, the story of the doctor and hospitalization and the inability to deal with alcoholics. Well, before the news of Overeaters Anonymous adapting uh, Alcoholics Anonymous to compulsive overeating had traveled from California east to where I was living in New Jersey, I continued to pursue an answer to this lifelong addiction and misery. And uh, one of the many things I did was I found a place to go to to fast. So that was my equivalent of the detoxing in the hospitals, as I interpret it when I had read the big book. And I, you know, would live on water under a doctor's guidance for three weeks. I'd have nothing but water. I'd be removed from the circumstances of my life, job, husband, children, mother, etc. And here I was in this detox, so to speak, drinking water for three weeks and being peaceful. And then he would slowly introduce healthy food, gradually, and I would be released. And very often, at great risk, on the drive home, I'd think about facing my job, facing my mother, facing my face, and I would binge on the way home from having had three weeks of hospitalization. It's like the jaywalker in the big book. That's how I looked at it in perspective. And had not having a 12-step way of life, or as is said, a moral psychology or the, the the inventories, the whole approach, not having, I, I did have God in my life, but it wasn't the God of my personal heart and of my understanding that could help me with this. It was like out there. I eventually gained back the weight I had lost in three, three weeks and, and reassumed the misery I had taken with me that had been lifted in those three weeks of peace and serenity in the country. And I couldn't find another solution. I couldn't find a group. I couldn't find a medical doctor. I could find nothing. So I dragged myself back to this safe haven. It was like back to the hospital, like one of the many cases that Dr. Silkworth saw, you know, Dr. Gross saw me. And I, and I repeated this pattern for a number of years because it was the only way I could find it, that I could stop the horrendous binging and horror. And finally... I said to him, what, what am I going to do? Am I totally hopeless? And I remember very well, I thought of it today. He said, well, maybe you've got to get religion. 
well, I mean, he was not a religious, quote, person. Uh, but he somehow got that I needed something beyond what was available and what he could offer. Maybe I better get, maybe I needed to get religion. Well, of course, when God led me to Oritas Anonymous through a friend who'd heard of it in California, and we went in search of this little meeting in New Jersey, and that's when I got, quote, religion, got spirituality, got people, bodies, sitting there who were walking, talking big books, who got it and who carried the message to me, saved my life, continues to save my life. So um, I'm very glad to be, uh, to be looking at uh, applying what we're reading to my own life, my own disease, my own recovery. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Barbara. What anyone else? Naomi. Like this is Larry. Naomi. Um, okay, so how about Naomi and then Larry? Go ahead, Naomi. Okay, thank you. I like what they said about they believe in themselves still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Well, that was me because I was on my road to death, and I did have the lap band surgery. And when I first went to the orientation with the gastroenterologist, I thought I didn't know anything about compulsive eating. I didn't know about the OA program. All I knew was I ate in volume and I could get fat real easily. And I thought this man was going to cure me. And I did have the surgery, and it was wonderful in the beginning because after three or four bites of food, I was done. It was wonderful. My my brain was raging for more, but physically that's all I could do. The extent that I went with this lap band, was I would go to the doctor each week or every couple of weeks, and he'd have to adjust it. And at one point, he made an adjustment. He cut me open in the doctor's office, and two nights later, I, re- I, I developed a huge red ring around where the incision was. And I called him. He said, come to the emergency room immediately. And they had to put me on antibiotics. And then finally, it, things just healed up a little bit better, and I did lose 60 pounds. But then being the compulsive overeater that I was, what happened was I was able to put 30 pounds back on. And the doctor went crazy on me when I gained four pounds. And when I saw a therapist, because the doctor sent me in such a state of depression, the therapist said to me, the the doctor really should have put the band around my brain because that's where it was raging. And that is the truth. And I found that out after I walked into these rooms. And when I hear of people either contemplating the the gastric surgery, the extreme, or the band, or they had it. I, I just, you know, without having this program, I know exactly what's going to happen. And I'm so thankful and so grateful for this. And this big book study is just opening everything up to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Naomi. Larry, go ahead. Good morning. <clears throat> Thanks for your service, Christy. This is Larry, Compulsive Reader. Um, yeah, what great news we're 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 receiving this morning. This is just terrific news. Um and with that with that hope, you know, I recognize and I always want to remind myself of the deadly nature of this disease. And I'm reminded, you know, in a very real way in the past uh well, month, two people that I know have died from this disease. One from alcoholism gentleman drank himself to death he was a very kind you know person he was a good person very functional person this disease kills i know another person indirectly through someone in program that essentially um ate herself to death and 
you know, the thing is, is maybe that's a pessimistic message, but it's a message nonetheless that I need to hear because the game is over for those people. Those people were loved. Those people were parts of family, sons, daughters, spouses, so forth, and they're now dead. Now, I know that I will die someday, and, and I know that I will die, you know, as a compulsive overeater. I don't want to die from this disease. I want to live my life. I want to be present for other people in a profound way. I want to connect with my higher power every single day to the best of my ability one day at a time. And, you know, this, so it's a great message of hope that, you know, that this whole notion of this spiritual transformation, yes, indeed, I have an allergy of the body. I have, as Leah always talks about it, the, the more, the more you know, um, prevalent aspect of the disease, the obsession of the mind, that's the one that keeps bringing me back. That's the one that, you know, pounds me, into, it beats me unmercifully in a, into a state of reasonableness. I am so grateful for desperation. Desperation is the greatest gift that God has given me. It is through that desperation that I am able, through God's good grace, to transcend this disease. And so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to share on these uh, two paragraphs? This is Helena. Uh, I heard Helena, and then I'm sorry, who else? That would be Paula Hi. following Helena. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much. Helena, go ahead, and then Paula. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I love that Dr. Silkworth recognized the unselfishness of, that is required in order to have this program hold in how it works on page 69. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. And then it goes on to say, above all, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. And that so many ways, we had no, I had no idea I was self. And yet that is the hallmark of this program. So along with everything else that we are learning, we are learning that to depend entirely on a power greater than ourselves means we must be rid entirely of self, and that only a power greater than ourselves can do this. The amount of selfish eating that I did in my lifetime, the amount of things that I did that I thought were unselfish, serving others at the cost of taking care of the body that God had given me to take care of, and the numerous ways that I thought that I was self-sacrificing and modest when I was really full of self-centeredness and fear, resentment, and so many forms of selfishness. And it's interesting to me that right here in the doctor's opinion, this is what is the hallmark, the first thing that the doctor mentions, the hallmark of these people is unselfishness. Pass. Thank you, Helena. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Over the Eater. It says here, later he requested the privilege, the privilege. Like you would think, wow, look at what I got. Look at what I got. Let me give it away. Let me give it away. Of being allowed to tell his story to other patients, it was so deep within him. I've got this, but it's not just for me. I've voiced that myself many times. Here, and with some misgivings, we consented. I said, wow, 
we're not sure. Should we do this? They did. Why did they? For as Helena just read, the unselfishness, this is what they saw. There they saw before their eyes the transformation, the unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive, no desire to get something but to give something, and their community spirit, we're in this community, aren't we, is indeed inspiring. To see this, oh, we hear about it here and there, but to see it, to one who has labored long and wearily, they were tired. And what they saw, a breath of fresh air, could this be in this alcoholic field? And then I will end with, as they did, they believe in themselves. Can this be they believe in themselves? They who wanted to end their lives and were doing it day by day and down the opposite? And still more. Oh, even more than that? Yes, more. And the God, the power, which pulls chronic alcoholics from the gates of death and what has been explained many ways of dying, many ways of dying, mentally, physically, spiritually. It leaves nothing out. But all the many ways of living are what we see here. And I say thank you. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Is there anyone else who'd like to share before we close up the meeting? Hi, this is Sheila. Would like to share? Sure, Sheila, go ahead. I just wanted to share and say thank you. Um, I too have lost loved ones to the disease of alcoholism as well as to the disease of the obsession of the mind with food. And it was go- it's with God's grace that each day I get up and I put one foot in front of the other and I keep trying to break the chain. This obsession of the mind that eats at what I see generations on both sides of my family. And it's a very painful thing to watch someone um, that you love drink themselves to death. Very, very, very painful. Very painful. And the effects of what happens when we don't take care of ourselves when we turn to our drug of choice, which could be food, and the ramifications that come from that too. And um, the memory of them keeps me trying and fighting each and every day. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sheila. And thank you to all who have shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Marsha, will you please read a vision for you? Yes, good morning. This is Marsha, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.